All right, guys, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, we are joined by a repeat guest and mentor, Jared Martin. Jared was previously the 2019 California Association of Realtors president, which is a big position here in uh, California, top of the top here, and then also still runs actively the Jared Martin Associates here at Keller Williams Fresno. How are you, Jared? You know, if I were any better, I couldn't stand it. Thank you for asking. How are you? We're pretty good. We're, we were excited. We've had you on the docket for over a month, I think, getting you ready for this. So, That's right, yeah. So we're excited. We wanted to bring you in. You and I were just talking a little bit before the podcast started. There's a lot of stuff going on in the news. A lot of people are seeing the national numbers coming out. They're hearing a lot of things from you know major media companies that I think are not always taking in the data correctly and not really analyzing the data correctly. We both know statistics are difficult to deal with. So we wanted to have you in as somebody who pays attention locally, who's locally involved in you know, not only real estate, but also banking and a couple other things. We just want to hear your thoughts on what's going on specifically for the Fresno real estate market. So I think this one's difficult and this is more challenging than most people realize because we still have a substantial lack of supply in California. So you're still looking at about a 3 million home shortage in California. And when you have that kind of um, lack of supply and you have any demand, uh, prices should increase, right? Uh, and, and we're in this environment where interest rates are, are rising. So I don't know if anybody has experienced this before. Uh, because I think if you look back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, you still had supply, right? You right. still had homes to buy uh, with, with crazy interest rates. And our, our interest rates really aren't that bad. Yeah. Uh, nowhere near where they were when my mom and dad bought a home in Fresno in 1981, where it was 17 and three quarters percent, right? Right. And so I think we had to take a step back and say, okay, what, what's really happening? And so this week I've had opportunity to talk to a couple uh, of my past clients and then a mentor of mine. Uh, one, of, one of my mentors represents a large home builder in the area. And then uh, my past client builds homes. And the reality is it's not getting any easier to build new construction. And uh, when I was taught, I had lunch with uh, my friend who represents one of the largest home builders in the area. And he's saying right now, PG&E is saying it will take 18 months to get power to a new home. So this builder has got a whole subdivision finished and PG&E is saying they're not gonna provide power or transformers for 18 months. So wow. that means you're not gonna have that product come online. And so all of us in, in, in the local market are reacting, oh my God, interest rates. I don't really think that's the problem. I mean, that it's an issue, right? And it's gonna affect our home payments and, and all of us locally, we, we don't buy a house, we buy a mortgage, right? Right. What, what we can afford. It reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, a client I had met with them in, in December, and they were selling a home out on uh, Quail Lakes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't on the lake, it was off the lake, but a nice size home, about $700,000. And I met with them initially in December, and we talked about the home price. And, and when I prepare a, a market presentation, I give a range. Because I don't know, maybe it goes over, maybe it goes under. But, but I provide a, a price range. And we, I said, it'll sell between six fifty dollars and $700,000. And I could tell there was stress in the market so I wanted to give myself a little wider range so they wanted to do some improvements to the house and they go on the market I think they went on the market April maybe May 
mm-hmm. right when right the week before the first interest rate hike, right? Mm-hmm. And we get an offer, and we get an offer for six ninety, and if they want the seller want the buyer wanted twenty thousand dollars in closing costs, so that puts me within my range. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm okay, and and the seller says, hey, go tell them to pound sand. I said, well, let's let's take a step back. Let's, and and they, he didn't use that language, but right, but essentially, essentially, <laughs> let's take a step back and let's think about this. And so I said, look, let's look at the interest rates today, and I think it was five percent. And let's look at when when we started marketing the home, and I think it was three and a quarter. Or when we started talking about marketing yeah. the home, I think it was like three and a quarter percent. And I said, do you know how much down the difference in down payment it takes to achieve a twenty five hundred dollar mortgage payment for this house from December to today? And he said, no. I said, well, it was one hundred and forty thousand dollars, twenty percent down, to get a twenty five hundred dollar payment. That's just your principal and interest in December, and now it's two hundred eighty thousand dollars. Double. I said, how many people do you know that just have $280,000 sitting in the bank ready to invest in a new house? So he was wise enough to listen to my counsel and accept the offer. But those are the things we're going to see change. I don't, you know, we, we may see softening. We may not see multiple offers. We may see longer days in the market. But the reality is it costs more to build. Yeah. And, and there's more fees associated with building. And new construction isn't coming online as quickly. And so I, I'm not a, a, a doomsdayer. I, I don't think the sky is falling. Uh, and, and certainly, we're not gonna go back to the 08, 09 when I was uh, doing all the REO stuff. And, and why I believe that is, over the last several years, people have had to put real money when qualify down when qualifying for a loan, right? When in in 03, 04, 05, 06, you could do 106% financing. But there's none of that any longer. No. And so I, I am uh, cautiously optimistic about what's going to happen in our future. Um, and so I don't know if that starts us off. Right? Yeah, no, that does. And a couple anecdotal stories helps. I think our market's used to hearing really broad figures, hearing some more specific numbers will definitely help. I had a quick question, if you, Go if ahead. you don't mind. Yeah. So when you were talking to everybody, or when you were talking to the clients in December, and we were at that three, three and a quarter, I've been explaining to people that I think people got used to the discounted interest rate. And I, I don't think that a three and a quarter or a two and a, a 2.9 was ever considered a reasonable interest rate. That was because we had the government dropping everything to zero in order to keep us afloat. And I was telling people that I felt like the rise that we've had back up when I started in 2018, correct me if I'm wrong, interest rates were around 5%. We're just going back to what the previous normal was. And we've kind of maybe overshot a little, but we're not in an outrageous territory. No, and and, and maybe the, the, government, the government has manipulated the Fed too much. And so I think... Um, I don't think there's enough distance between uh, particularly the executive branch of the government and the, the Federal Reserve, and there probably should be a greater amount of, of distance there. Gotcha. I wanted to dive, I had a really quick question on new construction, because you've got all these connections with your past clients, you've been gathering a lot of dat- data on what's going on with all the new construction. Do you see new construction, well, obviously finishing out current projects, some of them are going to have to wait 18 months to get 
power to the whole thing, right? How, what are new builders doing right now? Are they still going out and actively looking for land to continue to start new projects? Or are they kind of pulling the reins back a little bit? What's going on there? I, you know, I, I think you'll start to see, and this is based on a conversation I had yesterday uh, over lunch. I think you'll start to see, particularly the national builders, pull back. And that's been kind of a, a regular routine in our market when, when things slow down a little bit. National builders pull back. National builders being like Lennar, Dr. Horton, Woodside, the, you know the Woodside. big ones, the ones who aren't. So the local builders would be uh, like um, Wilson. Yeah, my, my Wilson, uh, DeYoung, my my buddy John Ryan DeYoung. You, I think you guys went to school with siblings, didn't you? I did. I went. I, I think it was maybe a niece or a nephew. Okay. Uh, and then you got uh, Bonadelli, Bonadelli, McCaffrey, uh, McDonald. You know those guys. The local guys, uh, Watha Castano, my my shirt tail relative is the president of Watha Castano, a Simi Granville, right? Uh huh. So those those local guys will still uh, be pretty active. I think. Why do you think the the national builders are going to pull off if right now we're at such a housing shortage? I think that the the supply chain thing is hurt. I, I have a cousin who's one of the owners of Fresno Plumbing and Heating. We're talking the other day. Uh, we're very close, and we're talking about finishing projects for for these build, builders, right? And they do, you know, all the plumbing, including the fire sprinklers. And he says, Jared, we can't finish projects right now because we can't get the the head of the fire sprinkler. So can you imagine? You have all everything done on the job except the head of the fire sprinkler and the manufacturer for the head of the fire sprinkler saying, I, I, we don't know when we'll have it for you. I don't have a timeline. It could be six months, it could be a year. You can't finish that, that subdivision until you get that fire. And what's worse is you can't say, well, I'll go to another manufacturer because then you have to change the plans for every home in that 200 home subdivision. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I think that those type of pressures are affecting the national builders. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you get the locals. It, it's tough to build in California, right? Yeah. For example, to have fire sprinklers, that costs substantially. You would think that solar would be more expensive, right? Well, solar, they can do a PP, uh, purchase power agreement. Yeah, PPO. And so, so the builder can do put a purchase power agreement or they can do... Uh, um, a lease, right? So it's passed on to the, the the buyer. But when you're installing a fire sprinkler, you have to have a pressurized line that costs, I don't know, $1,000 a part times 100. Well, right. You know, that eats into your profit. These of guys course. are used to making 15%, which is probably a reasonable margin. And now it's being compressed, right? By all of these uh, regulations. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in here. I don't know if I shared with you, I actually bought my first piece of land. I'm building my first house uh, with a local one-off um, custom home builder. And we're, we bought some land up in uh, Oakhurst and we're doing uh, 1,800 square foot for two. And we ran our numbers, felt like it was a pretty good deal. One of the things that he and I talked about, because he's done this a lot of times and I've never done it, was exactly what you're saying. He said, well, we're going to get to certain parts and then we're going to have to make really hard decisions because we're going to get stuck with either we're going to move forward past 
the pad. That was the first kind of where we said we were going to make a decision. Once we've cut in the pad, maybe we might hold on to it and just wait, see if the, the supply line gets easier. Or then we'll go and we'll make it up through another part. I don't remember what stage we had made it to. They said we'd stop there and we'd make another decision. Because if we go past that and we get stuck, we're not going to really be able to sell it. If we leave it here, we can hold it at this position with less money in and then wait to see if the you know pressures alleviate. But what he did mention is he didn't see California getting any cheaper to build. So he said, you know, get as far as we can get and then wait and then keep moving forward. What are your thoughts on like one off builders helping increase the supply that way? I, I still think it's challenging. Just not I, enough. Not enough. And, and back to that supply chain issue. I've got a friend of mine and a business partner who uh, builds probably the nicest custom home in Fresno. And, and when people want a custom home and they want it somewhere between, you know, seven and 25,000 feet, they hire this guy. And he and I own a little bit of real estate together. And he, I'm walking through one of his projects with him the other day and he says, do you know why I have the, the, the garage doors plywood right now? I go, no. He goes, I ordered garage doors nine months ago. There's an aluminum shortage. He goes, I... I I'm, I'm waiting on garage doors. Just so it's, crazy. It's everything, right? It's yeah. Just, and and I, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, another local builder who's a smaller builder, uh, you know, entry level, 340000 $350,000 home in the rural area. Uh, he and I were visiting the other day, and he goes, can you forecast what's going to happen? And, and really, I can't. I, I think that he's in the right position, right? I think that he, his business and his model he's been doing it for 30 years and i think that he's in the right position but that doesn't mean it's gonna get any easier uh i, I but i think if i were to, in fact i asked him this i go if you were to start over would you do any other job or he goes no i do this job he goes, it, it's it's more bureaucratic and it's more difficult but there's still no supply and when you have a three million home shortage in the state of california you got to build and until people start leaving California, we'll have this problem. I'm going to go on a little bit of an aside. Yeah. I, I, uh, at, when I was the president of the California Association of Realtors, the chief economist was a, a woman named Leslie Appleton Young. And I have a great deal of respect for her. She's a wonderful woman and, and incredibly intelligent. And I asked uh, Leslie, I said, hey, when is this? And, and at this time, there's probably three months supply, right? And I was right. worried because we didn't have enough supply, right? Right. <laughs> we got all the way down to two weeks. <laughs> but I said, when does this change? And she said, well, Jared, it changes when we have a net out-migration in the state of California. When one or two things happen. We have a net out-migration in the state of California. And, and more Californians are moving out than our state. Go, okay. Or when there's a mass pandemic and all the baby boomers die at once. So this is 2019 when I asked her this. So then we get we get uh, COVID, right? Baby boomers didn't die at record levels. So, and and we have seen a net out migration. In fact, California lost a congressional seat, right? So our population has decreased, and we still don't have enough product. It speaks to the level of bureaucracy. And if there's anything that I could, you know, wave a magic wand and change, it would be what's going on at the local and state levels, and, and how difficult they've made it on builders to build homes. Do you ever see do you ever see that convergence happening? At, at I, I mean anytime soon? 
in our lifetime? No, I don't. I mean, not anytime soon. And and the political climate would have to change so radically. You know, you look at our city council here and all of the. Uh, I need to be careful. How yeah. I say this. <laughs> the shenanigans that are, are that are occurring, right? And and you you wonder, hmm. I wonder how long it's going to take the citizens of Fresno to react. You know, how long are we going to allow uh, the homeless problem to occur until we say, okay, we've had enough? What's the breaking point? How long are we going to allow corrupt politicians to give contracts to their family members who have no experience and multi-million dollar contracts, right? What, what, where's the breaking point? Yeah. So you base a lot of your thoughts right now, and I think it's well well justified, but you, you base a lot of your market prediction and market confidence in the supply shortage. Can you speak a little bit to the demand and how interest rates have affected our local market? We're a cheaper area in California, so we've definitely been blessed to have still a pretty decent market. We haven't seen what some of the more expensive areas have seen. What are your thoughts with the demand? So yeah, I think we are relatively affordable, but remember our wages aren't the same as the Bay Area or Los Angeles, right? Right. Uh, and so I, I think if you looked at incomes versus cost of living, it, it'd probably be pretty close. Really? Uh, and, okay. And that we should, you should, guys should see if you get uh, Oscar Wee, who is the, um, one of the economists of the California Association of Realtors on, he'd be great. And he'd be able to look at that and tell you our uh, median income versus our median home price and how that's relative to the Bay Area or Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we've seen a drop in the number of sales. July, you had 509 closed transactions of single family homes in Fresno and Clovis. Um, compare that to June at 647. Days in the market though for sold homes, still about 13 days. Right. So you haven't seen that uh, up dramatically. We are up significantly in month supply inventory. And so you're up, uh, you know, we were under a month supply in March, right at a month supply in April. And then uh, now we're at 1.9 months for July. Now this is looking back, right? And so I'm not looking, I'm looking in the rear view mirror, not out the windshield. Right. Uh, but yeah, we've seen inventory increase. and. I referenced Leslie Appleton Young earlier. What she said to me in the past is that a balanced market is six months supply. So you guys wouldn't know this or have experienced this, but when I got in the business in 2001, I'd meet with a home buyer and I'd say, let's meet and talk about your parameters. And then I'd, I'd do a search on the MLS and I'd come up with 20 homes to go look at them at their parameters. And I'd go preview those 20 homes. Jeez. And then I would say to them, I found five that after walking through, I think meet your parameters. And then I take them to see the five homes. Oh, wow. And then they would say, we like the number two home and we'd write an offer. That was a, a nice way to work, right? And it's so much different. Now the buyer, or within the last year, five years, seven years, the buyer doesn't have time to do that. They walk in the first home, they see it's great, they write an offer, right? And so, Six months supply, I think, would be healthy. So six months of balanced market, we're, we're at, at, at two. just at two months. We're still 
a seller's market. And I want to make that clear. Anything less than six months is a seller's market. Anything greater than six months is a buyer's market. Uh, maybe that number has changed. Maybe Leslie would say today, four months is is a balanced market, right? But still, we're at two months supply. Yeah, two months is definitely not. Can I ask you your opinion then, or can I get your info? You have a lot of uh, charts if you're just listening. Um, what you said that the average days on market are 13 in our market. I was just recently seeing this, but I want to hear updated numbers. What's the average compared to the listing price? What was the average sold price? What percent were they getting at asking? Were they getting more than they were asking? Were they getting on average less? I'm curious to hear that because a lot of sellers right now, including uh, some of my partners on flips and stuff, Cade, you can attest to this, Mm -hmm. sitting on the market for two weeks, there was a panic and, and Cade and I had to say, slow your roll. This is normal. And we got an offer at asking. It closed. It worked great. So I'm curious to see if that's a normal story, if that was a one-off. So for the month of July, the the median, so again, we're looking back, we're, we're rear looking, the median for sale price for Fresno and Clovis was 429. The median sold price was 407. So what is that? Three percent, four percent. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. When reading medians, the homes that sold in July are different than the homes that went for sale in July, right? So we're looking at two separate sets of homes, or am I hearing that wrong? The for sale price, yeah, it, it could be two sets, of, uh, two different sets, but the for sale price for July was four twenty nine, and the sold price for July was four oh seven. So yeah, you can extrapolate that how you how you'd like to, but there was a, a difference in for sale versus asking, and that's what this median sale versus median sold price. Do you think prices have dropped by three percent? I, I think there's been a little bit, uh, a little bit of a correction. If you were to estimate just from being in the market, and obviously it's hard to pinpoint an exact amount, but if you were to try to estimate the average market price change, what what would you guess? Three to five percent down. Mm-hmm. And, and in the last year, we've gone up fourteen percent. So let's look at that. Because I'm curious, a lot of people forget that in the last year, we've also gone up 15% or whatever that was. And so even if we've come down a little, we're not even close to the prices that there were last year. So your your median sold price in August of 2021 was 376000 Your median sold price in, in, let's go July, excuse me. What? Yeah, it was 366750 in July. Of 2021, and in July of 2022, it's 407,890. So even with a small price change, if you're sitting on a purchase from last year, you're still sitting on equity, a, a good chunk of equity. Yep. And I wanted to bring this up too. I hate to be asking all the questions, but I have a lot. Um, that being said, let's look into the future for foreclosures. If a seller who or an owner who just bought their home a year ago is sitting on 40 or 50,000 in equity, that's enough to list your home, sell it, and not have to lose any money. Why would anybody be worried about foreclosures going up in the next few years? Can you see that as a reasonable fear? I don't, listen, listen, the loans are different. You're not seeing adjustable rate mortgages, right? You're not seeing 106% financing. It would shock me if we saw a great deal of foreclosures in our market. Now, there may be natural job loss, except 
so I'm, I'm, I don't even think that if somebody wants a job in today's market, they can get a job. So I was on a call yesterday, and uh, and then I, I interviewed somebody yesterday, and we're talking about filling positions. Do you know that? How do they say it? There is for every two positions open, there's one applicant. We shouldn't see foreclosures. If you need a job to pay for your home, you're saying you should be able to go out and find a job. And a second job and a third job and maybe a fourth job. <laughs> One, uh, Joanna and I were having a, a conversation. Joanna is the team leader here at Keller Williams uh, yesterday. And we were talking about that. For every two positions open, there's only one applicant, right? And she goes, maybe I should get a second job. And I said, you know, my belief is we all should have seven revenue streams. I think if you have seven revenue streams, you don't have to worry about, you know, a fluctuation in one or the other, right? Right. Huh. So shifting, you explained it in a way that I think was very, very straightforward and also just kind of made the light bulb click on in your seller's mind. When you were going back and talking, um, when it, your seller for that listing had told you to go tell the, the buyer's agent to go ki kick dirt, and then you're like, hold on, slow your roll. Here, let me lay out the facts for you and explain it to you in a way that you, you are going to understand and comprehend. How has your converse, conversations with buyers changed into the market now because like Scott mentioned, we, we've done a lot of explaining and, and kind of outlining how you, you can't compare these interest rates to the unicorn market. That was COVID where people were getting sub 3% interest rates or refinancing sub two and a half percent interest rates, right? To now look at, you know, our five and six percents, and just based on you're not going to go buy a home because you know the interest rates a year ago were three. These interest rates are too high. How how has your you and your team's conversations with buyers shifted to let them know that hey, this market is even stronger for you to go and buy in compared to a year ago? I try to avoid that conversation. I try to avoid. I, I when I sit down with a buyer and I say, okay, you're interested in this home. We've seen it. We walk through it. I, I just go right to the comparables. Here's what's sold in the last 90 days. There's your comparables. Where do you want to make an offer? Well, I want to go below that. I've never had a problem doing that. I, I'm, um, I had a client uh, and, and a family friend who over a year I showed 100 homes to. I'm not a hard sale guy, right? And if, if my client says, I want to offer 10% off asking, I'm, I'm going to write it up. And, and after enough of those experiences, then they, they educate themselves, right? Well, I was wrong. And now you, you talk to them and you go, remember that, that house you were offering 454 that sold for 475? You just bought a house for 500 because you didn't listen to me back, you know? It's and like, are paying more for that's it. right. <laughs> I made that mistake. So I think some of us, we want to rush the process. One of the things that I do when I'm, um, and, and I, I get a little bit pushed from, from boards, I have I, had opportunity to chair a lot of committees and be the chairman of a lot of organizations. 
one of the opportunity, one of the things I do as a chair is I let things develop. And I let it develop. Sometimes the rest of the committee or the, the rest of the board gets uncomfortable, but I let conversations happen. And I, I remember um, the president-elect of California Association of Realtors now was my vice chair of, of uh, Strategic Planning and Finance Committee for the California Association of Realtors when I was a treasurer. And, and the converse, she, she didn't like how the conversation was progressing. And she kept hitting my leg. And, and I, she wanted me to stop it. My thought is, and this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate it to our previous conversation, is maybe somebody says something that generates a thought with somebody else, right? And so I want, I know that we, we have time constraints, but I want to allow this to go as far as we can allow it to go to see if there's another idea that, that comes out. So for me, I'm okay with my client and my team, we're okay with our clients experiencing failure, right? It's okay. I provided them all the information they needed to get the house they wanted initially, and they didn't get it. It must have not been what should have happened, right? Right. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Well, let me let me also rephrase a little bit of the question. Kate and I have talked with you about buying real estate, and you and I have always talked. You've said, we're young. We've got a huge benefit that we have time on our side. Go buy stuff, and you're going to learn as you go, and the best time to buy is now and get going on it, right? I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are about the people who are sitting waiting for a crash. Uh, That's you know, foolish. It's not going to happen. Thank you. It's, that's not going to happen. I'm going to speak now differently. So I've been speaking as somebody who represents a homeowner. If we want to talk investments, that's different. Buy now and buy as much as you can. And it may not be in this market. You have a giant country to look at and invest in. You guys are investing in Indiana. I'm investing in Tennessee and North Carolina. One of the charts here, I'll show you. Let's see this map. Oh, I don't think I have a map. There it is. Oh, That's the other half. Where's the other side of it? It's. I should have printed this differently, but it didn't print. Okay, so it shows job growth. I'm only concentrating in the southeast. Now, I hired an economist. I paid him with steaks from, um, what's that steak place you can order online? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Continue, but I know what you're talking about when you, here. When you remember, bring it. I'm, I'm thinking about I, it. I, I bought a, a $300 case of steaks and I sent it to him for, for. I think it's on the Daily Wire. Is one of the, there's it's, it's not Omaha steaks, but it's one of those. Okay, I was thinking of Omaha. Um, uh, so he, years ago, three years ago, he says the the I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up a little bit. The CEO of the California Association of Realtors is a friend of mine named Joel Singer. Joel's retired, so the new CEO is John Seabree. But when Joel was the CEO, he said, you're too heavily invested in California. Sell. At the time, I had 59 units in California. All right? So I put everything up for sale. Now I think I have 26 units in California. But I have 31 units in North Carolina. I'm closing on another four next week. I have 80 units in Tennessee. I've got 33 units tied up in, in Thomasville, North Carolina, and maybe 24 units in Monroe, North Carolina. You can make deals in this market. Investing is different than buying a home. 
And, and it, it really is just math. And rates don't matter as much. And what I mean is, I know that I want to achieve a certain yield. So with today's rate, what can I pay to achieve that yield? And if I can do it, and if a seller is willing to accept my price at, to achieve that yield, then I'm a buy every time. So my minimum yield requirement's 8%. And I'm a hold guy, right? Right. I tease, and I'm gonna probably get in trouble for saying this, uh, but I do have a family member who is Armenian. So I tease that I'm gonna change my last name to Martinian <laughs> because Armenians never sell, right? Right. Uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. Now they trade. So I've, I've sold two houses in Fresno that were in marginal neighborhoods with cap topped out rents. And I'm exchanging into a fourplex in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, where I think rents are, are doing this. It's a suburb of Charlotte. And I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna do well. Uh, so I think you trade. Trading's good. 1031's are the best thing in the world. But as an investor, if I'm speaking to you and encouraging your clients to invest, I'm saying, uh, and this is not flipping, I'm talking investing in real estate. Buy, 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 and you can make deals. And you can be like my, our friend David Borchard and buy in Arkansas, or you can be like you guys and buy in Indiana, or me, North Carolina, or I think Benny is in Indiana as well. Yep. Uh, the, the, the field has changed, and it, all it takes is me to get on a plane. And the key when you're investing out of state is to make sure you have excellent management. And if you have excellent management, you're going to be just fine. So overall, you think, though, that the market is still worth running deals every day and making offers every day? It, but it doesn't matter what market we're in. Right. As investors, we're able to create deals. Whether interest rates are 7% or 11% or 3%. And I, I, maybe I'm going to suggest that it's not as good for us as investors because sellers know that you're borrowing at 3%. So there's no discount there, right? They want, right. They want top of the market. This could be the best opportunity. And yes, your guys' runway is so much longer than mine, right? I'm 46. You guys are in your early 20s. You guys are going to hit it out of the park. Hopefully. No, you will. And, and the failures happen. One of my failures, I, I made it 28. I lost. My mom calculated $152,000 in a, a, a flip. You say, how do you do that? Well, I was going to su subdivide the lot and split it. And it was 2006 and the market did this and I lost, right? That's still a great education. And I got my, can I cuss or no? Yeah, absolutely. I got my ass kicked on that deal, right? I used to say to my mother, I think I'm just going to walk out in the, the front of the fax bus on Shaw Avenue because I'm worth more <laughs> with my life insurance policy than I am uh, after losing that, that deal. But that was a great lesson. I'm cautious, right? Yeah. I, I, my model is simple. And, and the way I analyze investment real estate, it's, it's really quick. And I look at only year one numbers and here are my year one assumptions and here are my 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 initial investment and if i can achieve eight percent on my year one numbers it's a, i'm a buy but i think all of us should have some sort of standard and you just can't be willy-nilly now no matter what your standard is i know you mentioned you've sold 
I mean, at your peak, you said you had 50 some doors in California. You're now down to about half that. Are you actively looking or analyzing deals in California no. that match that threshold? I don't like California. Why? Well, I, I, I need to ch- change that. I, I, I'm partners with a, a group. We just bought 33 units in Clovis. I'm probably would be described as a libertarian. Although Ben Shapiro and, and Michael Knowles get mad at, would get mad at me for saying that. Uh, but I'm, I'm probably fiscally conservative. And I think because I live in California, I'm probably more socially moderate and maybe even a little bit liberal socially. That initially, that's how I would describe myself. Uh, are leaders at the state level and at the city level in cities like the one we live in, or the one you guys live in, because I live in Clovis. Are he lives in, in Clovis, so are, we're just talking to me now. Are incompetent. <laughs> and I'm telling all of my investors, I had an investor come and meet with me the other day, and he said, I want to buy eight units in Fresno. And I said, I would encourage you not to buy in Fresno. And I'm going to tell you that because we had an incompetent mayor, not the current one, the current one's a really good mayor, but the one right behind him was completely incompetent, completely over his skis, and he initiated a, a, a mandatory inspection ordinance for investment property. He was talk, targeting one landlord, and instead of targeting that one landlord, he came after everybody. And now every single time the city of Fresno decides to do a mandatory inspection uh, on one of my properties, it costs me at least 500 bucks. These guys are incompetent. That's number one. And I think you have radical city councils who think that they're going to have a, a better rent control than what the governor did. And I, so I negotiated, I was the president of California Association of Realtors when the governor of California implemented AB 1482. And we fought hard. And his chief of staff called and yelled and screamed at me. Because the, the, the board of directors for the California Association of Realtors didn't want rent control. Right. We, we beat it. I think there's 58 counties in the state. 56 of the 58 uh, counties had beat it in an in a initiative. And, and then the governor decided in his infinite wisdom, which I don't think he, that's true. I don't think he has infinite wisdom. But the governor decided that I'm going to do statewide rent control. So AB 1482, there were some victories, right? It didn't include single family houses. Pretty good. I would have liked it not to include duplex, triplex, or fourplex as well, because I think the mom and pop investors use that for retirement. Mm -hmm. But I think AB 1482 may have been good for Fresno. And let me tell you why. I believe that in our community, we were complacent with rent. And I think that people take the path of least resistance. And they don't want to raise rents because what if my tenant leaves? I'm going to have to clean it up and relet it. And so they would leave rent where it was. And so for I bought a, a, a sixplex just in the Tower District. And, and when I bought it, I think the two bedrooms were running for $495. Oh and the gosh. one bedroom, and this is in 2019, were like 400 right? What AB 1482 has done to local landlords is we have to increase our rents every year by maximum. maximum. So if it's 5% plus CPI and CPI is 3, then I got to do 8%. But if it's 5% and CPI is 8 or 9, I can't do 14%, but I can max out at 10, right? And, And so I think 
it's been good for long-time California land, uh, Fresno landlords. It kind of puts you into gear. You can push the blame off onto somebody else. Hey, I have to raise the rent today because I can't make up for it later. Well, it, yes. It's hurting the value of my project because each of those projects, the value is, is derived from the income. Mm-hmm. We When we look at our deals too, a lot of the times, I didn't even put this together until you said that, we spend a lot of times and we're talking to sellers and their rents are like, oh yeah, I've got this you know three bedroom, two bath in a decent part of town, rent's 800. And we're like, in our head, we know the rent here is like 1500 plus all day. And we're bringing it to them like, what happened? And just like you said, well, we didn't want to raise rent on them. That's mean. And I'm like, well, everything else went up. So the cost only of you your, ate that. The cost of your pool service has gone up. The cost of your yard service has gone up. The cost of your pest control has to gone re-roof up. re-roof went up. AC went up. <laughs> everything. Everything. Everything went up. So uh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. And you think rent control plays a part because it gives a motivation to get it done. Well, I, I think now... Every landlord in Fresno now is going, I got to raise rents. Do you think it shot the tenant in the foot? Yeah. Oh, it hurt, hurt, hurt the... That was part of your argument when, we, when you were pushing against it. You said this was going to hurt tenants too. So I was, I was uh, negotiating and, and the, so the, the chief of staff for the governor calls me and she's yelling, you know, it's always fun. And I've done this, so I can't pick on her too hard. Do you know who I am? She says. <laughs> so, so the next day, uh, the lieutenant governor calls me. I like this woman. I think she's really smart. And I said, what, what, I, what I think we should do is, is number one, I, I don't think the rent control should apply to duplex, triplex, or fourplex. If you give me something like that, I can go back to my board of directors and negotiate. Or maybe you allow local municipalities to make this decision because this may be a great decision for San Francisco and Los Angeles. But I don't know if Fresno really needs this. And she said, Jared, that's brilliant. Let me go to the governor. Well, the governor shot it down, right? Um, but, but I think it did hurt our local tenant. I think our local tenant got crushed. And, you know, we've seen all the articles with Fresno having the highest rent growth in the country. It's because we had the lowest rent in the country for so long, right? And we had to catch up. Um, so, you know, I, I think 1482 was probably uh, good for local... Uh, landlords. I think that anything that any local municipality layers on top of that is dangerous. I, I would hate to see a local municipality make single family homes part of that, that rent control. Um, but these, these bureaucrats and these uh, elected officials and lifetime elected officials, they don't, they, they've never written a payroll check, right? They don't understand economics. They can read the Stanford study that shows that rent control is bad for the economy, and they don't believe it. They think they know better, right? The, the reality is the only way that we could reduce rents is by increasing supply. And if people have more options, then the market takes care of itself. But they don't. They just don't buy that. Now, where do... Because like Scott mentioned at the, at the beginning of the podcast, there is a lot of chatter. There's a lot of noise out there, right? No matter where you may be getting it from, no matter who you might be hearing it from, right? Like Scott mentioned, when we put together kind of our informative mail, when we go into a conversation where we'd like to be well-equipped with all of our information, we like to pull the actual data, the actual numbers, and not just kind of take it at face value from where we might be hearing it everywhere else. Where do you like to derive your data, your statistics from, your information from? 
in order to well equip you for all of these conversations? Well, I, I, I subscribe to Claris Market Metrics. I think it's a $9 subscription. So I can look at local markets. I wanted to point out to you guys this. And, 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 and so remember your question, but it, it, it stimulated another thought for me. So the median home price in Clovis is $475,000 for July. Mm-hmm. The median home price in Fresno is $407,000. $70,000. No. Clovis, four seventy-five. Fresno is four hundred seven. dollars Let me make sure that's right. $70,000 difference, right? I'm wrong. That's the wrong number. Fresno oh. is three hundred eighty. dollars Oh, geez. Clovis is four seventy. dollars It's like ninety. Ninety thousand. 90000 If I live in Fresno, I am at every single Fresno Unified School District trustee meeting getting up on the mic and doing my two minutes and saying, you guys are terrible and you're affecting my home value and you need to get your schools up. And I'm going to every city council meeting and I'm going, you guys are awful, the worst in the state and you need to do something to improve because you're hurting my value. And why should I continue to live in Fresno when I can go live in Clovis and get have, have better value and better services than you're providing? Okay, so research. I love research. Clarence Market Metrics. I also like uh, NAR research. I also have a very close friend of mine who uh, uh, is a senior economist for Realtor.com. So I talk to him. I, I listen a lot. When I'm, when I'm investing, if I'm going to invest in an in apartment unit, I hire my boys and they do market rent studies. What I, the path of least resistance. This is where you make your money. So I bought a, uh, I bought a, a nine unit apartment complex in June, closed June 30th of 2021. The, the landlord hadn't adjusted rents in years. So all we did is come in and raise rents. Now there's no rent control there, right? So for my two bedroom, one and a half bath units, rent shows that I can get somewhere between 800 and 1,050. So we get to 900 over a year. So we're $900 rent for a two bed and one and a half bath. I paid 664 2021 June. What did the appraisal come in at yesterday? Million. 930. 930. So when I put financing on that, I'm in that deal without any of my own money. Yeah. Rent surveys. Where do I get rent surveys? I get rent surveys. I, I trust apartments.com. So I get on apartments.com and I, I I'll, I'll shoot you guys the uh, template I use. But I just zip code, school district, bed, bath, deposit them out, rent them out. Does it have HVAC? Does it not have HVAC? Does it have a garage? Does it not have a garage? And you just check to see the ones that are... Because are, on apartments.com, you can't see what they actually went rented I'm for just asking asking rents and you and so you, you can extrapolate okay if they're asking this and they are on the market they're a little high or they're maybe they're not a little high if you're in a market where there's three percent vacancy right it should be three percent of your market on apartments.com mm-hmm. huh hmm. well we could talk about all of this data all day we don't want to hold you up too much longer i know you've got a couple things we've got a couple appointments to make it to on a friday afternoon um, what would be 
at this point, you've talked about a lot of different parts of the market and the economy. What would be the last thing you want to leave? Our base is mostly young investors and young buyers. What would you want to leave them with? Don't be apathetic. You, you guys are our future. I, ha- I was playing golf with one of my, it's like a brother to me yesterday, he and his son. And I think that we have been apathetic and we're not involved enough. And we don't take time to go to city council meetings and to go to school board meetings. And these affect our investments. And, and we've said, oh, if it gets too bad, somebody will take care of it. I think there's got to be balance and you've got to say, okay, I understand making money is very important, but I also may, want to make sure the policy, local policy, isn't radical and doesn't get out of control. And so wherever you're, you are, I think you've got to be involved, deeply involved in your community. Even if you're, when you guys are investing in Indiana, you need to be involved in that community that you're investing in. You need to know what's going on. You need to be reading the paper. You need to, when you're back there, do your travel dates when there are city council meetings. Introduce yourself to the city council people. You're not a, a constituent, but you're invested in the community and you like the community, right? So I would encourage, you know, that, that 18-year-old to that 35-year-old investor, don't be apathetic. Get out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that links directly back to what you were saying where kind of people are kind of throwing it off and saying, you know, what's what's the breaking point? Well, let, let's not get to that breaking point, right? That let's not sit on your ass and push it off and say it's somebody else's problem, right? Because by the time we get to that breaking point, shit's already hit the fan. That's right. And there, and there's really, I mean, that breaking point's the point of no return. Shit's already hit the fan. It's done, right? Yep. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you again so much for joining us this morning on the Pursuit of Property podcast for the second time. If you guys missed his first episode, I think it was way season back two. when. Season two. So go shoot that a listen. Um, Jared, I think I can speak for both of us. You you have you are always one of our favorite people to talk to just because of how well educated you are, how intelligently you can speak and break down information for everybody. So this will be an episode to rewind and, and give it at least a second listen. So, Jared, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll be having you back on again in the future. All of you guys out there listening, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.